1: Hola. Ni Hao. Guten Tag. Moi. privet. Uh, Hal alan. Hey. Um. Hey, hey. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. What's that? Can't, that's that's what they say in um Norway. All right. Welcome, everybody, one and all, to the normal, not normal podcast with myself, Oliver Phelps. And me, James Phelps, and thank you very much for joining us this week, everybody. Uh, if we didn't say hello in your native tongue, we apologise profusely. Exactly. Blame James. I've been trying to teach him all these different, wonderful ways to greet people, and yet he still gets hung up with "hey, hey." Yes. Anyway, in this series, we're talking to some of our favourite people to find out what normal means to them. And really, does normal even exist? With that, with that in mind, um, our first guest today, Tom... Our only guest today, Tom. Pardon? Our only guest today. Okay. You said our first guest today. Right, let's do that bit all over. <laughs> no, 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 now. I'm enjoying no, it no, 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 no. Wait, 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 Let's do, that again. <laughs> let's do it again. Come let's on. Come on. No, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it. As you can probably tell, it's a bit late because we had to speak to our guest a bit later in the day because of the time difference. And Oliver's flagging a little bit. <laughs> Today. I, wouldn't say I'm fl- I wouldn't say I'm flagging a little bit. I've just had a bit of an emotional day at the checkout in the uh, in the supermarket. That, that that took a long time. Okay, we'll um, talk about that later, shall we? We'll, t- we'll talk about all that later. But then oh, I bought a leaf. I bought a leaf collector, right? Oh God. Yeah. And uh, so I had to collect all these leaves because obviously all the all the uh, the foliage is coming all over the floor. Um So I vacuum it all up, and then it gets stuck because there's a few wet leaves, and that's it, it mulches it down, and then it leaves it like a little blockage, right? So I'm in the front lawn today and I take off the bag because it clicks into a bag. And uh, I was just like, oh, quick look around. Oh. <clears throat> so you, you turn it on again, it'll literally just fire it out. There was a young lady taking her daughter to school and it landed just in front of them. Luckily it didn't hit them, but it landed just in front of them today. And I heard, you know, a, a, because at first to the untrained eye, it looks like, it looks like a, a really small hurt animal just splatting on the floor because you got all these leaves which are all wet and congealed together. And I hid, I hid there for what seemed an eternity, hoping that they would uh, go. So then I left the rest of the stuff outside because I didn't want the lady to walk past the house and see me there. Oh dear. Any interesting cameos this week? Uh, I had a, yeah, I had a really good one actually. I had a, a proposal. Right, um, okay. For you then, or you were helping someone else do it? I was helping someone else do it. And I also yeah. had a really nice... Um, baby reveal gender p- reveal party ah, so then so that the to be grandmother sent me a message asking me to do the reveal so that was a lot, lot of fun Oh, nice! Get really exciting to do that. But anyway, on with today's episode. You might know today's guest as Luther Hargreaves, or Sir Percival, or Billy Bones, or even Dickon Tarley. This actor has starred in some of our most favourite TV shows, whether it's BBC's Merlin, or HBO's Game of Thrones, or most recently the Netflix great show Umbrella Academy. Known for his impressive physique. And we've seen this up close. It is very impressive. Tom Hopper has I think, become I think, something... I think, I think James has got a bit of a man crush on our guest. I have. I have. Anyway, Tom's become something of a health expert. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I'm oh, flushing. Tom. Ooh. Oh, Tom. We're not anyway. even there yet. You're ruining this intro. I'm doing very sorry, well. Sorry, sorry, kick on, kick on. So Tom's become something of a health expert recently. And did you know, Oliver, he's actually writing a um book about clean eating as we speak so i'm looking forward to seeing that he also co-hosts a podcast called earth locker and recently his own son freddie was diagnosed with autism tom and his wife laura have taken to social media to celebrate neurodiversity and get everyone talking about autism so i'm very excited to talk to him about that as well as you can probably tell oliver i've already got a bit of a man crush so until then let's crack on welcome tom hopper we were saying earlier about when we met. So, how long ago was that? That was oh man, 2013 was
0: it? 2012, 2013, somewhere around that, I think. A couple of Which years, is, yeah, yeah, quite a few
1: years ago now. it's when the Lions was on, wasn't it? In in Australia, yeah, it
0: was the Lions tour in Australia. Yeah, I mean, we we won the tour when we were there in Australia. I mean, it was a it was quite a moment that.
1: Yeah, it was something. So, for people who don't know what we're on about, the Lions is uh, a rugby tour of all four eight like England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and they all. F- Um, like the best players come together to play for one team and every four years they play either in Australia, New Zealand and South Africa. We all just so happened to be in Australia and yeah we experienced a Lions win.
0: Oh my god yeah it was so
1: tense. The weirdest thing about watching that is that we were at this it was like a a meet and greet meal type thing but they said we'll put the rugby on as well. So there was quite a few of us just watching the rugby and I remember that they missed a kick the Aussies missed a kick so for those people who were caring for rugby at the time in the room were kind of like oh and out of nowhere David Hasselhoff rocks up going yeah and like <laughs> almost like backtracked <laughs> into the distance it was the most random thing I've ever seen in my life
0: <laughs> yeah Hoff he loves to make an entrance doesn't he <laughs> yeah had no idea what was going on in the game <laughs>
1: So I think is normal, what's normal, and everything in between. So what was your normal growing up? What was a classic Sunday, for example, with you?
0: Classic Sunday? Um, probably uh, as a kid, I would say uh, playing rugby in the morning, um, speaking of which. Yeah, I'd, I would get up. And, uh, I remember very cold mornings and um, yeah, going up and going to rugby training or going to a rugby game. Um and playing that till around sort of like lunchtime and then my mum would always have some kind of roast so my, my um to give you a bit of background like my I grew up in a a single parent home so my mum bro- raised me and my my brother alone so she would try and be uh we'd see my dad my team my dad lived down in Bristol we'd see him like every other weekend or whatever and go on holidays with him but my primarily my mum raises alone and uh she always tried to do everything that was like the mum and the dad, you know. So she would always make sure she would be there for our rugby games and watch, or just play football or whatever, and all our sports. And then she would always make sure that she would have dinner on the table uh, and have a roast, you know, at lunchtime. Um, but we we had very, I come from very humble beginnings, really. I come from a, a miners' town, an old miners' town called Colville in Leicestershire. And, um, you know, we would just, we would live a very simple life, really. Like we, there was no, The idea of doing what i do now seemed so far removed from what the life i lived then it just like almost seemed impossible really to to kind of reach that um which i suppose the reason why i ended up ended up doing it because i saw it as something unreachable and i've always kind of reached for the unreachable Um, because um, my granddad who was a big part of my life always said go for your dreams never ever not go for your dreams so even though it felt unreachable at the time, it always felt like something that I had to go towards no matter what. And kind of, I I never wanted to do, this is the thing that's interesting, the word normal. It's like, I never wanted to go into the norm of like that town, which was sort of just go down that standard route. And, you know, a lot of people ended up sort of on the dole or like just going into some apprenticeship. And I was like, I just, I just could never see myself going down that route. But, um, yeah, but for the for the most part, yeah, my, my childhood was very normal for want of a, another word, you know.
1: How did you get into the
0: drama side then? Basically, it's a really funny story, this. So I don't know if when you were at school how you guys did it, but when you go in into your GCSEs, uh, you had like a choice subject that you could like choose. There was like a whole different load of subjects and like PE might be in one and all those. And I had this free choice subject available. So... One of them was uh, drama. And I was like, that sounds like a DOS subject. That sounds like something I can DOS around in and not have to do too much work, right? And um, I, I decided to take it. And it ended up being the thing that I enjoyed the most because little did I know, like growing up, I was always goofing around and like playing characters for like my family and just like pretending to be people. Like I'd be watching... Uh, prime minister's question time with my grandparents and I'll be doing impressions of like John Major and Tony Blair and stuff and I would always be doing like impressions and stuff so I never really knew that I was kind of a performer at heart anyway but I suppose when I got into doing drama at GCSE that was when I was like oh man I quite enjoy this I got a kick out of it and you know what's interesting is I I started to get because I'd always done sport that's one thing I'd always done I'd always like played different sports I started to get the same kick out of performing as I did at performing on a sports field. That kind of thing of, you know, that kind of elation feeling you get when you score a goal or a try, or you like you crack a, a brilliant shot at cricket. And that was part of the kind of the bug that I got really that enjoyment factor of enjoying the, the win, I suppose that it was like, yes, that was a good performance.
1: Was there more of a like a a a play that that you did? What really caught your imagination?
0: I mean, there's a couple really, but there was one particular one that really stands out in my mind of when I was at school, and um, I did uh, a musical. Um, And I I, at the time I used to sing a little bit as well. You know, don't anymore, boys.
1: You can do now uh, if you want to, mate. We're always always after a jingle.
0: Yeah, (laughs) 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 I'll come up with something for you. But they, uh, so there was this, there was this musical, uh, and so I'm this, this, uh, this robot on roller skates. And I'd seen this, this musical like years before when I was a kid. So the idea of playing this, this guy, this roller skater robot was uh, quite appealing to me. So anyway, I I ended up doing the job, getting the, getting the part. And uh, it, I've never, had such an incredible feeling every single night I went on stage it was like this it was it was the closest thing I'd feel to like magic it really felt like magic and that was the first time I think where I thought I would want to do it forever but again it felt so unreachable from this like little school in middle of Leicestershire I was like well even the idea of actually doing anything like that going down to London just going down to London yeah. seemed huge for me. It's probably, it probably the same as you boys like when you were younger. Like London seemed yeah. like this massive place. Yep. Yeah, and, no, I, always, I
1: always remember we went as kids once with our parents and we had to dress up, like wear smart trousers type thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> put, put your smart trousers on.
1: Yeah, it yeah. was, it was. You may was see the Queen. <laughs>
0: you may see the Queen, put, yeah. put a belt on, James.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> although, although we did randomly see Brian May on Oxford Street. And I was like, wow, did that you? happens every day, yeah.
0: <laughs> Oh, what a win. I saw Bob Hoskins once on a school trip to London and he went into uh, Ralph Lauren and me and my mate went in there and he went in with his, he got his notepad out, his, his, his little rucksack, my mate. And got his notepad out and went over to Bob Hoskins and went, can I have your autograph like that? And he went, not right now. And we were like, oh. Get it. Yeah, we're like, I'm never watching Hook again.
1: Following follow your grandma's advice, like never always go for your dream. You went to, you went to college to study it afterwards.
0: I knew nothing about drama school. I'd heard of a couple of them. It was my drama teacher at the time. She's, she knew a kid that went to Rose Bruford College. And um, she was like, you should go and audition there. And that was the only one that I, I knew of or had heard of. And she was like, you should audition there. I was never, I always felt, this was the thing with me as well. Like I never felt I was very good I always felt like there was people better than me. Because it, it, even in my school year, you know, there was people that were stronger actors than me for sure. But I always felt like I could give my best. That's one thing I always, always did was I, I gave my best. I, I worked super hard. I would always like look to improve. And um, I wanted to learn. That was the biggest thing. I was like a sponge. I just wanted to learn. I wanted to know how to do it better. And I would watch those actors that were better than me. And go. What is it that he's doing? That oh, I was like, oh, that's good. I've not, I've not seen it done like that before. And I still do that now. Like I watch. I was. I always tell Robert Sheehan, who um, plays Klaus in the Umbrella Academy. Like <laughs> there was one scene where I was watching him, and my line was next. And I was too busy enjoying his performance and like going, <laughs> man, that's good. That's good what he's doing. I was it's yeah, that's really good. And then there was this silence after he finished his line. <laughs> I
1: was, I was like, Eyes just looking weird,
0: in. <laughs> and everyone's looking at me. I'm going, yeah, like completely out of the scene. Um, but yeah, so that that's one thing that I always struggle with as a as a a young performer. I think that I never really felt like I was good enough, especially when getting into drama school. You know, you have to do Shakespeare, and you have to. There's like there's all this criteria that you have to to do to get in. And I really knew nothing about Shakespeare going to college and you had to do this big uh, Shakespeare monologue to get in. And I went in and did a poor version at best. The uh, The head of act at the time came up to me and, and said, can we just uh, see you for a second? And I was like, I was like, yeah, sure. And still like bricking it, you know, I was like so nervous. And he was like, um, have you done Shakespeare before? And I went, a uh, little bit you know not not loads but like a little bit and he was like yeah because it was awful He goes, Shakespeare was awful he goes uh. he goes your contemporary was very good so we'll see you again but I want you to go and work on your Shakespeare go and find someone get an acting teacher and work on your Shakespeare and come back for the recall and I was like Oh, okay, cool. So I kind of left with this real, like, bittersweet feeling of, like, oh my God, I've yeah. no idea how to fix this. Um, but anyway, I, I was fortunate enough to be a part of uh, uh, Leicestershire Youth Arts, which is like a, a thing that takes plays up to Edinburgh Fringe Festival and stuff. And I, there was a guy there called Bob who would like run the whole thing. And I just went and spoke to him and said, I need my Shakespeare to be better. And we, we spent like an entire week every day working on my Shakespeare and trying to make it better. And I went back for my recall and I, um, and then fortunately, yeah, the, when I got through to the, that final stage at the drama school, the head of acting came with him at the end and it was like, it was like better, better. like that. <laughs> I was like, thanks. Good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then fortunately, I got in. I got into Rose Bruce, and then that that was the beginning of three amazing years of my life, where I continued to have that kind of I, my attitude was I'm not as good as any of these people here. I need to learn to be to be better and to be like the best version of what I can be to go out into the to the industry. We had, had this guy that came in and was like talking to us about how to stand out in the industry. I, at the time, I happened to be reading like a bunch of different things on Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was like a random thing that I was just having to be reading. And I saw that he had branded himself. One thing he wanted to do was stand out. So he was like, I get a bunch yeah. of muscle to stand out. And one thing they told you to do at drama school, right? Because it's all about opening up and like being free and like all this, right? They're like, don't do weights. They said, don't do weights. <laughs> and that was like a moth to a flame for me because... I was reading all this stuff about Arnie and about branding himself and I was thinking you know what there's not that many like British guys out there that, like they're that a little bit bigger and have got a bit of muscle on them and, and sort of stand out in that way and I was like I'm going to start hitting the weights screw it I remember coming back after the summer and I'd hit it really hard you know I'd like been training every single day and I, I when I first went to drama school and because of the first year they told us to not do weights or anything i you know, became a complete beam pole. I was so skinny and then started like smashing the weights over this one summer into second and third year. And I remember my, my, uh, my movement teacher at drama school going, um, you've put on some, uh, some muscle, Tom. Are you doing weights? Like that. And I went, no, no. <laughs> I was just, so, just blatantly lying. All my mates there knew that I was doing it. So there was this kind of silence in the room, and I went, no, no, it's weird, isn't it? And they were like, yeah, I mean, you really, like, put on some, like, muscle on your <laughs> shoulders and your arms, and I went, "I went, yeah, so the same thing happened to my brother, we just naturally kind of, like, have done this, I don't know, it must be genetics or something, and, I mean, it was hilariously obvious that I'd clearly been doing weights, but I just blatantly denied it, so that when I got into to the first year of, of graduating, out of graduating, I was going put up for roles like a debt collector with a baby face, you know, or something like that. I was like, that's me. (laughs) So, you know, like there were certain roles that just, when it wouldn't be a lot, you know, that's the thing. My agent said to me when he took me on, he was like, I don't know necessarily where you're going to fit in the industry because there's not that many roles that come up for someone like you. But when they do, I think you might have a good chance. That's how I sort of started to get, a bit of momentum, I suppose, is that, and that was all because I went. Well, why do we not want to? Shouldn't we yeah. be doing weights? You know, like it's. And I think sometimes you do need to question whether those sort of rules, so to speak, are actually for the benefit of your you and your career. Yes, you might get freer shoulders, but are you going to get a career and jobs because you've got freer shoulders? Probably not.
1: No, no, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, did you start, did you find as well though that like with the the whole training process? Did you find yourself, so that like when you went into um, roles, say like in Merlin or, or in Black Cells, where obviously it, the, the, the part demanded a presence, mm-hmm. shall we say, in your in your physique, did that in your head be like, right, I need to bulk up, I need to get to, I don't know, a body fat percentage I need to get to or something like that. Did that all come into the, the prep as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I look back now on those times and I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. There was a point where, remember when like 300 and things like that came out and like, yeah, um different movies where people were like jacked and they it was all about they'd gone through this crazy transition and stuff well when we did black sales that was kind of seen as us for us as like our version of that it was like we have to look this good and our trainers and the people that were on the show were saying that you know and we were having to send photos to the network and see what how we're looking and everything and um so we kind of put that pressure on ourselves. We weren't really getting it from them, but we, we put it on ourselves and thought, right, this is the opportunity to be the best shape of our lives. And that probably, looking back, wasn't that healthy, really. I actually made some mistakes in that period where I ended up getting injured and have learned from those things and th- thought, you know, that's not the way to do it. You know, yeah. so um, I think I met you boys when... I, think, I was yeah, in the middle of like kind of going quite hard. You
1: were you were training because we made the mistake of doing a doing a circuit session with you at the hotel, <laughs> and I've never That's looked at right. a medicine ball the same way since. That's right, definitely. When you say you had an injury, it mm. wasn't like it was. It wasn't like you banged your foot, though, was it?
0: No, I mean I've had a, I've had a couple, but yeah, I herniated two discs in my back. Yeah, I was. It was pretty bad. Like for for two years, it was a good. It was probably about a year and a half from the injury actually happening. It was about a year and a half of me trying to deal with this this searing pain, and I I shot this third and fourth season of Black Sails with this injury, and every doctor that I saw was like, "You're gonna have to have that that disc snipped off." You know, it's like pushing on your nerve and everything. I just didn't want to do that. Like the, Again, it was like this thing of questioning, well, why? Why? There's got yeah. to be another way. And then I came across um, a stem cell company that do uh, stem cell injections taken from your bone marrow, and they spin it and turn it into stem cells and then inject it under ultrasound into the injured area. So I I went and had this thing done in, in Denver, Colorado, and it healed the disc. Like I woke up uh, two two months after the uh, procedure after two years of solid pain like this waking up every single day with this searing pain down my leg and my back and just having to try and carry on I mean it aged me that injury it really did and um I woke up and was like I got out of bed and I went to the toilet like just as normal like and normally I'd be like like I'd have this pain and I didn't realize until I was whizzing that I was like (laughs) hang on a minute where's the pain? And then as I was whizzing, I, I was so excited that I started bending over like this. <laughs> oh, no, like, no. Yeah. So I was, I was like, oh, shit, the <laughs> Yeah, and, um, and I was like testing it out and I was like, oh, my God, the pain's gone. And it was like this miraculous thing that happened.
1: Umbrella Academy, congratulations on a mm. very big success of all that, by the way. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's good. I assume part of it is a bodysuit with what were you wearing to do <laughs> stuff
0: either. I Part, assume. Just not my legs. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, did, did you have to do like any training for that at all? Or was it a case of, we'll, we'll work around you with the prosthetics and
0: stuff? So initially the first season, the, the first conversations I had was to, to bulk up as much as possible for the role um, because uh, they were going to add like bits of prosthetic to my existing body. So I started like bulking up and was like hitting the creatine and trying to get as massive as I could. So the start of season one, like I'm like, like pretty big. And, um, but the, as we were about to start shooting, um, they said to me, it's going to be a lot easier to do a suit because you're going to have to be in prosthetics for like three hours every single morning otherwise. So we'll do a suit and then we'll do a prosthetic job for when you're not got your clothes on and stuff. So I was like, oh, okay. But I'd been bulking up for like the last like four months. So... (laughs) (laughs) I I immediately was like, right, I'm trimming down these calories. So I gradually kind of leaned down throughout the season. And um, so you can kind of see that in season one. You can kind of, the continuity is pretty bad because I started to slim down. Then in season two, I'm sort of more uh, my fighting weight. But the only thing that happened in terms of training after that, once I knew it was going to be a suit, it was more like the fight scenes and stuff, right? I had to figure out how I was going to fight in this massive suit because it completely changes the dynamics of your body and like the weight that you're carrying. So you're carrying like, a, a, I'd say another like 20 pounds of weight really. Um, so when you're doing like the big kicks and stuff that my character does, it's, um, I had to start to learn how to do that. So like I kind of, ha- I started doing fight training on my own with a weighted vest all the time. So I always had that extra weight and I was doing like jumping kicks and stuff. So when I didn't have the weighted vest or the suit on, I felt like lightning, you know, cause it was like, you just didn't have the extra weight. Um, so that was the only real thing is like learning how to fight properly and make it look natural with the with the suit on because that thing's mm-hmm. it can be pretty cumbersome. And we,
1: well, Oliver and I have have seen it as well. Um, being a tall guy in in acting isn't as common as being a smaller guy in acting, shall we say? Yeah. Do you, do you always get the oh wow you're tall comment when you walk yes. in? What's I'm still trying to figure out how the best way to deal with that, because I'm always like, um, thanks.:
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Your average height?:
1: Yeah, exactly. Pat uh, them on the head.:
0: Yeah, exactly.: <laughs> Exactly. <like> little hobbits. <laughs> exactly. Hello.: Hello, followers. Um,
1: well I I, mean, I, remember when we, I remember when we were filming Potter and there was, there was times when we'd be doing a scene, sat down, and obviously everyone's relatively the same bit, and we, then we'd have to do a, another bit where we'd be standing up. And we would either be right towards the back, or the people we'd be talking to would be literally be on an apple box. So they're not quite level, uh, yeah. hold, but they're still like around here. To try and keep it with that <laughs> that thing, I suppose. I, I don't, I don't quite understand why that is, but yeah,
0: the logistics of shooting being a taller actor, I think, are tough, right? Because you yeah. either get the other actor on a box, like you say, and then on black sails, right? When we were doing a beach scene. Instead of bringing a box in, they'd dig a hole for me in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd just been stood yeah. in this little ditch. And then, like Luke, and then- Luke Arnold, who played John Silver, hated doing scenes with me because they, they'd all... I mean, I think he had a bit of a short man complex anyway. But um, even though he's not actually that that small, but I think I gave him it, you know. Yeah. But he, um, he, they always had to... There'd be this, like, shout out. Okay, can we bring in Luke's box? All the time. <laughs> and he must have hated it. <laughs> like, yeah, so I, I, was,
1: I mean, I always find you always seem to end up not falling out with, but there's always an odd look from the boom operator as well.
0: Or well, like we tell you the funniest one is like makeup artists or people coming to do hair.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That I just constantly my like, my leg strength's amazing by the end of a shoot because I just go into the deep <laughs> squat every time. <laughs> Just let them do their thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: I, I think that's the thing that people don't quite understand. If they're a bit shorter, or shall we say, normal height. Mine our normal is anytime time you go into a hotel room, the uh, the sink is predominantly really low, and stuff like that. I find anyway really low
0: as our yes, toilets. that's
1: my excuse for my aim anyway. Yeah, so... shower and no, the shower heads are the worst
0: in hotels. Shower heads. Yeah, shower heads are particularly bad.
1: I I remember we were doing a a premiere in um, Amsterdam and we're staying in this hotel, which was kind of like a load of houses, which they just knocked through and made into one big hotel. Oh, yeah. Uh, Or big townhouses. But all the the beams in between were quite low. And I remember the one morning I got up to get out of bed and I jumped up, but this beam was only about (laughs) five foot tall. I'm 6'3", and I literally knocked myself out and woke up a couple of minutes later like with a huge egg on my head. Oh my God! Which is bizarre, coming from the country which has statistically got the tallest people on the planet. Yeah! I know, that's what surprised me about it. (laughs) Jesus! Hello, and welcome to the bit of the podcast where we answer your questions and read out your did-you-knows. So we're going to start with a question from Amelia from Argentina. This is a
0: question.
1: What was your first job
0: before the movies and how was it for you
1: what was your first job before the movies well i guess we had a car washing job when we were kids i don't know but no, definitely say, i don't think i don't think washing people's cars in the church car park quite counts as a as a job uh, but no, i did right. actually because in school over here we have to do a work placement for two weeks when you're about 16 or so and I remember going along to this work placement and I was put in a an office uh, which was actually for a job recruitment company and I really enjoyed it actually but then at the end of it the, the manager, I remember, came in with a card, had everyone, everyone in the office, which is over like three or three floors, had signed it saying, thanks for coming in, great, well done. And he said to me, look, I know that um, you're at school now, but when you finish school, are you gonna go into sixth form? Or have you ever thought about coming to work here full time because we'd love to have you on a, on a full-time placement? And he had no idea that I was acting or anything. And I just said, um, no, no, I'm, I'm good, thank you. I'm, I'm really good, thank you, I've already got a job. He probably put his neck on the line to get you that. He probably did, yeah. He's probably thought, oh, God, <laughs> some 16-year-old kid in a suit has just sort of turned me down for a full-time placement. There you go. I absolutely hated my work experience. Why was that? I worked in a travel agent, and it was so dull because I wasn't allowed to do anything. They had like a kind of WAP. They didn't have the, the internet on the computers at the time, so I Gosh. couldn't even look at the places where they were saying, and the brochures were... I wasn't even allowed to file up the brochures, so, yeah. I was not offered a job. There you go. We nearly had a James right there. We did. Um, going on, question two. This is from Sophie in Dudley, in the West Midlands, in England. She writes, "Hello." In my native tongue, is probably "waro you, bab yam alright" or "how am ya." For those of you who are wondering, may I translate to you? That means, "Hello, how are you?" Our, our mum's side of the family are from that part of the world. So anyway, waro Sophie. I have a question. I wondered if you ever considered participating on a reality tv show and if so which one strictly i'm a celeb dancing on ice james question to you uh, i've never thought about it to be honest with you i'd probably do the jungle the jungle's a good laugh isn't it oh, i couldn't do that I, I would i would vote for you to get locked in the the box with rats or something yeah that's it tight really tight confined spaces wouldn't do wouldn't do good in that and definitely wouldn't do with rats around and especially add not a lot of food to the mix after that time period no, I wouldn't do that either. I'd do the dancing, though. Really? I know, not to, not, not to give the game away but for our, our chat with Ivana Lynch, but we talk about Dancing with the Stars and stuff like that, and that sounded like... Good yeah, time. but she can dance, though. Yeah, I know, that is, that is one drawback to my skill set. You were that weird kid on a, on a school disco would stand in the corner eating crisps. I saw you at a school disco once. I was tearing it up. Uh, the next question. Hello, Oliver. Hello, James. I'm Finja from Germany, and since I work in a bakery, I thought I would give you a couple of did-you-know facts about bread. Did Finja send any samples over? Uh, I think we can request this for a later date. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So did you know? Napoleon gave a common bread its name when he demanded a loaf of dark rye bread for his horse during the Prussian campaign. Pan pour Nicole, he ordered, which meant bread for Nicole, his horse. To Germanic ears, the request sounded like pampernickel or or was it sounding like pampernickel which is still the term that in germany they use for this traditional loaf to this day and another legend has it did you know legend has it that whoever eats the last piece of bread has to kiss the cook (laughs) (laughs) a baker definitely made that tradition up Dorelli belaine dropped us a message and has said did you know that when dogs are playing and they get intense, they sneeze. The sneeze is a signal to the playmate that they're still in a playful mood and that they're safe. So basically it means they're having fun. Very good. I I can actually completely agree with that one because my dog does it all the time. Achoo! And he's not feeling a bit rough. We also have a voice note from Rhea who told us about her new normal. Hey, or as it's said in my native tongue, Namaste. I'm Rhea from India and since I'm a student you can already guess that my normal is attending online classes in pyjamas. But my newly found passion thanks to lockdown which I'd call just slightly abnormal is going from 6pm to 5am that's 11 hours spending the time to write. I sit for hours together writing short stories for schools, organizing book exchanges and book drives to give the underprivileged a chance to read new stories. Uh, But apart from being the escapism that I need, this podcast has given me the motivation to get back to my instruments. I play the piano, the guitar and the ukulele. And I've gotten back to my grade level. So thank you so much for helping me do that. And thank you so much for putting this wonderful podcast out there for all of us to listen to. Wow! Ria is a very productive person, isn't she? I mean, she's putting us to shame. I mean, you know, the fact that she's openly admitting as well that she goes to school in her pyjamas now, online granted. I thought that was very, very cool. But Ria, keep being fantastic and hello to everybody else out there in India. Yes, thank you very much for getting in touch, Ria. That was very good and you've put us all to shame. <laughs> now, that, I want to say as well, thank you so much for all your messages. I'm sorry we haven't been able to get all of the DigiNo's and all the other messages in, but please keep sending them in and remember, we really want to hear your voices, messages jingles as well as your did you knows and questions so please send us them to normal not normal podcast at gmail.com that's normal not normal podcast at gmail.com or tweet us with the hashtags normal not normal and did you know and if you're sending us a voice note or jingle and you're under 18 please remember and this is very very important to make sure that you get permission from your parent or guardian now let's get back to our interview with tom You're married, your wife also acts, uh, you've got a daughter and son. So when you're away traveling, how do you, like when, when I go away, I've kind of got a switch where I, although I'm, I know I'm going to miss home, I can't think about it too much because I won't be able to focus on that. But then I'll still check in with my wife when I'm away, mainly to video time the dog. But yeah, it's
0: it? important. It's exactly, what needs to see you.
1: Does she um, understand it as also because she does the same kind of job?
0: Yeah, she does understand it. She, My, my wife's incredible. Like she, She's so understanding of, of me going away. And I, honestly, I don't know how she does it sometimes because I spend a day alone with those children and I'm absolutely zapped. So I don't know how she does it 24-7 when I'm away. But um, yeah, I think it's twofold, you know, because there's a great understanding there because she understands what I'm doing and how it all works and like why I might not be able to talk to her over 12 hours in the day because I'm here there or whatever got terrible signals I'm shooting up a mountain or something but she you know it's also very hard because she ultimately will want to be doing what I'm doing when she's not being a mum you know and um, and I think it is hard for for actors uh, like female actors who who want to still be doing it and they, they're they also trying to be a mum, a full-time mum. It's, it's an incredibly hard transition for them. I think unless as a, as a, a male actor, you know, you're going to have kids and then decide you're going to be a house husband, you know, we have it a lot easier because there's a connection between a mum and their kids, you know, like, well, certainly in, in our case where it's unlike any other, like it's different to the connection I have with the kids and she also feels she needs to be with them. So when she goes off to work, she gets this extreme guilt. I get the same guilt when I go away. But there's something that, there's a, there's a motherly nature connection that they have that is, you know, it's unlike any other.
1: But you said, I mean, you talk about, um, obviously, uh, with your wife as well, acting. And obviously, the two of you are obviously very good at performing. And not just performing, but just being open and getting getting messages across and stuff. So do you, do you want to tell us about your YouTube channel uh, that you use for, again, with your family life and stuff like that, um, about um, raising awareness for autism with your, with your little lad, Freddie?
0: Yeah, yeah. So that was something that – so we got – for people who don't know, I got, we got the news, a diagnosis that uh, Freddie, my son, who's five, uh, we got the diagnosis of um, him having autism. And we always kind of knew there was something different with Freddie. You know, he wasn't um neurotypical, let's say, because he, he didn't start talking and uh the way he was responding and stuff wasn't was, was not the same as other children his age. The one thing we realized was that we went through a very tough period as 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 parents with the acceptance of that. And it felt like a very lonely time, you know, because I think particularly for Laura, my wife, because you you feel I think certainly in Laura's case she felt like she'd done something wrong you know there's this thing where you feel like oh what could we have done different have we done something wrong because the thing is there's also different types of autism a spectrum right so there's one side of autism where the people can talk and they're like they're very highly functioning and then there's the type of autism that that Freddie's got which is non and doesn't communicate conventionally in any way at all so it, it's very difficult life can be Very tricky at times but at the same time it's incredibly rewarding because he sees life completely different to to anyone neurotypical he will be excited by snow like any other kid you've like you've just honestly the excitement that comes over that kid or like a tree blowing in the wind is the most incredible thing to this kid like the rain falling from the sky the way it drops on the patio he's like obsessed with it because the way he sees it the way his brain processes it is completely different And so that's the kind of the thrill enjoyment side of of his personality and the way he is. And he's an amazing little kid. But in terms of him entering our world and the things we need from him to do, it's a very difficult process because you're you're trying to mold them to fit into your world. When actually we learned through the process of him being diagnosed that actually you kind of have to embrace his world. You're not going to jump into his world, which is is a very different one. But because it can be so difficult at times and because they're not developing like these other children you see around them. I think as parents, you go through this denial and this process of acceptance, like I say. And it was very hard for me and my wife. And when we got the diagnosis, uh, Laura, my wife, came and said to me, she said, I feel like we need to, because we have somewhat of a platform, I feel like we need to talk about this a bit more openly and tell other parents that might be going through this and might be feeling really, really alone and feeling like what I, you know, they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand why they might be feeling the way they were feeling. So we were thinking, well, let's just talk about our process. Let's talk about our experience as best we can, as openly as we can, and about how it affects like a marriage as well, like the relationship between the mum and dad, because that was the toughest thing really because you both have different views on what's going on. Like I was very quick to go, there's something up here. Let's, let's sort it. Let's, there's something not quite as it should be. Let's try and get on top of it. I think it might be this, I think it might be that. And me being me, just like went crazy on research and was looking to all the ways we can, we can help his life and make life easier for Freddie. And my wife being in, in denial for a lot of it and saying, no, he's absolutely fine. Like I never, I, I, you know, if I mentioned autism, it would be like a really bad thing. So we were kind of on two separate paths, you know, and eventually we came together on it. You know, we, we kind of found this common ground of, of how to, to deal with this thing that had, had come into our lives as a, as a thing. So ultimately it all came down to, we want the best for Freddie. we, adore him beyond belief and we just want to make sure that he has the best life because he's entering into a life where people don't see it the same way he does so that's scary for a parent because you want the best for them you just want them to be happy ultimately so we have looked at all the different ways that we would make and make sure that he's going to be happy in now and in the future and we want other parents to feel that they're not alone ultimately because it's a it's a tough process man
1: yeah it's almost i mean it, it kind of goes with what we've what we've been trying to to get out with this in in terms of like this normality like you know mm. Freddie's normality is different to say uh, and a, you know a, someone in a, in a normal school environment type thing but it doesn't mean that it's any there's a, there's a good or bad to it just a different type of normal and yeah so like i suppose with the neurodiversity Element what 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 comes with that type of stuff, but I mean, did you when you were going through like all the researching and stuff like that, did you realize that there was say a um I I don't know like a, there's like like an environment you put him in, what makes it better for him to deal with stuff, be it like food, be it like warmth or anything like that? Is there stuff like that that you came across?
0: Yeah, I mean, there was there's various different things. The the biggest one we came across, and this is very controversial because. There's a lot of people on the spectrum that argue this. Um, and I, that's why I always go back to there's very different types of autism. And in our case, this this worked particularly well. Was that with food, it was a huge one for us. Uh, one, so one common thing with uh, a lot of people with autism that are like Freddie, they have a very particular uh, kind of food that they will eat, right? Because it's to do with texture and to do with the sensory element of food as well as with the taste. And the, Freddie went down this this root of only wanting a certain type of food and he'd want, it, and then he's always want like things with sugar in and like highly processed ultra processed food ultimately and it started to get to a point where it's all he ate and we that's that's also created the divide again between me and laura because you know she was like he's got to eat something tom you know and i was like but he can't eat that like he just can't keep eating that and she was like what do you want me to do starve him and it was it became this divide, and we had to then find that common ground of like, okay, well, neither of us wanted to be in that, and it was also doing terrible things to his behaviour. He was acting, I can't even describe it. Like it was almost animalistic at times. You know, like I, I just was looking at this kid that I was like, I've lost my son. Like he's not what he was when he was eighteen months. He's like, I don't, know, I don't know what to, how to fix this. And for me, that was a nightmare because all I do is look at things and think, right, how can I fix this? How can I, how can I make this better or right? And Freddie in a way has become like, like my, and Laura's like ultimate kind of life challenge to make sure that he is okay. So like, this is why I, I go delve into the research and stuff. And I started coming across people's experiences that had done this thing with food and cutting out certain things in their diet. So such as sugar, dairy and gluten or anything ultra processed and, um, me and Laura kind of agreed that we would try this. And um, as we did that, we saw Freddie change. Like he became so much calmer. He just wasn't as angry. He wasn't as frustrated. There was something that happened. I don't know what it was. There was something in his gut. Because there's a lot of research now to do with uh, microbiota transmissions the microbiome. So like all your gut bacteria, they they do microbiota transplants now so they transplant the bacteria of someone else they take someone else's good like healthy poo and put it into a child uh, with um, an imbalanced gut with autism I think it was like over 50 percent increase in um, improvement in uh, ASD behaviors um, like severe ASD behaviors but there's this guy, Dr. Jim Adams, that's doing that at the moment at Arizona University. And he's he's finding some incredible links between the gut and and autistic behaviors, certainly in se- severe autism, you know, that's close to what Freddie is, like nonverbal autism. And there's kids that after having these microbiota transplants, after six weeks of having them, never said a word in their lives, started talking. So wow. they, they, these are like kids are like eight nine years old who had never talked and then had these transplants. So there's clearly like a link there that's happening in certain types of research. Now, like I say, that's very controversial. There's a lot of people that would have uproar about that. And I completely understand where they're coming from. But when you have a child that all you, you, all you want is you're desperate for them to, to get along in this world and be happy in this world, those sort of things become, Become a possibility to you that they might be able to say their first word at you know six seven years old, that's a huge thing. So that's, that's a really positive research, you know. Yeah. So
1: what have you learned about autism and the way it's it's dealt with as a society in general?
0: It's tricky again, right? Because there's different types, and that's the thing. I think for the highly functioning element, we're starting to become more of a, an acceptance of it, I think, and there's an, an inclusion aspect of it. But with someone like Freddie um we've had to deal with a lot of like it's tricky because like my my wife always says you know when she sort of went to certain mum groups and stuff when she was younger or when when freddie was younger and he clearly wasn't doing the same things that a lot of these kids are doing he would be running around screaming and not conforming to what other kids would be doing and mums would give like looks like what's he doing you know it'd be it'd be really obvious to them they're probably not knowing that they're doing it but there's this look that they're, they're sort of giving that they uh again that's not normal and as a parent that's that's very tough you know like noticing that about because they're having an opinion about your child and um that's tricky to deal with but I think the more like conversations like this talking about it is great and um you know the more me and my wife obviously trying to do the same thing and I think conversation is the is the best in this kind of long-form conversation of chatting about it and not because I'm not I'm no expert. I'm literally like not educated on autism at all. I'm talking about from my own experience and what yeah. we've experienced with Freddie. I can say that that has made a difference for us. And, and just, just sort of looking outside the norm, looking outside the box and going, what else could be going on here? Rather than Because I think that's the thing is that there's a, there is also a thing of like just accepting and dealing with a certain type of autism, you know, like just going, let's make the best of it you know like oh the child is like this let's make the best of it when i sort of look at it and go but when your child is showing improvements in these areas surely there's something to that
1: definitely i mean there was a i I did watch a short actually a couple of weeks ago i'm trying to find the name of it it was on uh it was on the the disney plus it was basically about this guy who's got a kid and he keeps flying oh right and his dad gets really annoyed that he can't just stop and he keeps flying off and in the end he tries to like tie him down and everything like that and it's actually a really emotional watch it's only a short it's not very long but try and find the name of it now but he basically at, at the end of it it's it's dedicated to all those who can fly i love that or something like that and it's, it's it's really really well done but i can't remember the name of it. it was actually it was so powerful
0: i love that what a great concept float float where can you watch that? I'll you
1: know. Yeah, so the show was called Float, and that was on uh Disney Plus, And it was oh okay, it was so moving, it was such a great bit of not just animation, but in terms of just because I was watching it going, What is this? What is going on? Why does this kid keep blown away? And it was literally the very last bit because like he he basically the dad well, I won't I won't spoil it if you want to watch it, but the dad says something, and that makes him take a step back, going,
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: whoa, what was that? And yeah, it's just, a, it's only about, yeah, between five and 10 minutes long, but it is really, really, really powerful. I've got to check that
0: out.
1: terms of right right now then, Tom, what does normal mean to you? Like, what, what is a normal day? Obviously, there's, I suppose there's, there's two normals. There's work, there's work time and, and family time.
0: That's exactly it. So I suppose, and I suppose those normals kind of do cross a little bit. So uh, normal right now, when I'm on my own, like so work time normal revolves around uh, eating and training. They're the two main things. And then obviously going to work and, and shooting. I, I always find there's certain things in my life that I like to prioritize to keep my life for one of a better word, normal, you know, and um, it keeps me sane as well as things that I, I like to do. Um, so in between jobs, when I'm at home with a family, normal for me is doing those same things, but just fitting it around family life. So I always try and make sure I can get up with uh, the kids and do the school run or like get the, the breakfast ready or whatever I always try and make fresh breakfast for them so like I make Freddie like his own little uh like sugar-free grain-free pudding thing every night that I cook and like there's these certain routine things that uh, that I do um for the family as well and then outside of that I always make sure I go and train you know I get like an hour where I'm like right this is training time and I train like a maniac for that hour like I'm I'm in there and I, I get the job done. A big part of what I do is get up before everyone else is up. Like I wake up at four or five in the morning and get it done. And there's also a nice feeling of knowing that no one else, when you're up working, you're getting something done before anyone else has even arisen yet. You know, I quite like that feeling.
1: Mm. Yeah, I complete, that is exactly what I do, to be honest. There's something about... I think I saw when Mayweather was fighting Hatton He would fight. He would train like in the middle of the night because he was. His theory was, well, my, my, my opposition sleeping while I'm working.
0: Yeah, it's a psychological edge, right?
1: I don't think he'd figured out the time zone difference. Yeah, so
0: that's two in the afternoon. But it's two in the afternoon,
1: Manchester. But Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I always find if I put it if I put it off training and say I'll go later, it's always. I'll go a bit later. I'll go a bit later, yeah, and then if I yeah. haven't gone, I'm in like some kind of depression for the
0: for that day. Like, <laughs> well, there's a, there's you do have to talk to yourself sometimes and just go no, 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 get on, just do it. You'll feel good, for it. and you do. That's the thing when you do it, and you you didn't talk yourself out of it. it feels better, right? I I really feel the difference.
1: Yeah, I think that probably brings on to this one. So, what's the most normal thing about you?
0: I suppose the most normal thing about me is is my family life. You know, I think. I, I, for me, it's, it's very important that my kids are extremely grounded as they grow up, you know, and live what I would consider a normal life. And they're not because I think if there were certain places I I could choose to live, you know, that it would affect their upbringing. And I suppose giving them you know, my my version of what is normal and more than my wife's version of normal is and having a lot of family around them and um even when they travel with me around the world you know to wherever I'm shooting if they, cuz they're going to come out um come out with me you know to to certain like they come out when I shoot umbrella and stuff and even then it's like our day to day will stay what it is back home in leicestershire you know like we just we do the same things and we have the same routines and they'll go to school and they'll they'll do what we normally do. So that that's probably the most normal thing. Uh, we have no extravagance there. It's very similar to any any average family.
1: Yeah, and so if that's the most normal, what would be the least normal thing about you?
0: What would people consider out of the ordinary would be the way I eat and the way I train and the way I look at my, my self-discipline, I suppose, of like what people would be like, oh God, don't you ever just give yourself a treat? You know, people would see it as quite self destructive in a lot of ways but actually it's the opposite for me it's it's all about self-betterment but th- a lot of the things like my diet now is what i consider normal but to other people they would be like that's mad why you why'd you never eat that why'd you never have that but to me i'm like well because it's normal to me now that's just the way i do it um but to most people it would seem like extreme or odd i think
1: i've normally got a couple of questions to ask which i'm always meant to send people and i never do so quick fire quick fire ones first of all tom what's your favorite book
0: right now um one of my favorite books is a book called uh genius foods by max lugavir that was one that really kind of helped me out on my journey so i'd say that's one of my favorite books
1: nice favorite song
0: probably an aerosmith song um maybe like loving an elevator i think is pretty amazing for me I've got so many. That's the thing. What is your favorite film? Back to the Future Two.
1: Oh, good, good shout. What
0: is your favorite food? Really good chicken wings. When the, when chicken wings are done well, chicken wings. Nice.
1: And finally, out of any film or TV show or film or whatever, what is your favorite quote?
0: Actually, there's there's one from a movie that kind of represents. I think what was a big part of like the way I entered into like i need to be like that was when gerard butler kicks the persian in 300 and he goes this us sparta yeah and he kicks the guy <laughs> that was like yes that's it that that so that that had a lot of weight for me
1: wiki well thank you very much Tom. that was uh that's all my quick fire questions but yeah thank you very much for joining us mate
0: it's been a pleasure and thanks for asking uh all amazing questions, especially about like Freddie and stuff and the message we're trying to get out about autism and stuff and the awareness of that. So that's um that's amazing. And you boys should come on the Earth Locker. We should have you have you guys on. Yeah, that'd be yeah,
1: great Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah,
0: sure. Yeah, let's do it. We'll sort it out. Definitely,
1: mate. nice right, so, Well, thanks very much, Tom. All right uh, boys. Enjoy the rest of your shoot and speak soon.
0: Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, yeah. for fellas. Cheers, Cheers mate.
1: i really enjoyed that yeah it was good wasn't it again whenever we speak to people that we know we talk about things which we've never spoken before which is good fun but yeah tom's such a nice guy we were just saying it's he's so easy to hate because he's so good looking such a nice guy i bet he can sing he says he couldn't sing but i bet he can sing. i know yeah he got he got away with that one didn't he (laughs) but yeah really top really top bloke and um Really fascinating to hear, and amazing the work that he's doing with spreading more knowledge um, about his son Freddie and other hopefully helping people in a similar situation. It's bizarre as well though as when he, when he was talking about it how little I suppose general people their understanding on stuff like that is because obviously I, I suppose like a lot of things unless it directly affects you you're not really going to seek it out are you or anything like that so I suppose it does make a lot of sense and help as well that he's able to to share his his message using his platform yeah very good very good but that was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed that. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Jace, is that listening listening to Tom? Then are you going to go and uh, hit the gym twice tomorrow? And do, do you know what I am actually? I already I already was meant to. Yeah. Um, so I do. Morning is uh, my cardio and weights, and then evening boxing. Right. Okay. How many calories are you on? Because you've got to you've got to be over three thousand calories right now. For I'm eating sure. quite a lot already. Yeah. Okay. Yes, thank you, Nutritionist okay. Man. I'm just saying, your, I'm just saying. Hench. <laughs> mm. It doesn't on, count, when you, a, right it doesn't count when you wear a small t-shirt, though. We all know about this t-shirt is extra large. <laughs> is it? Yeah, Pearl Jam Worldwide, yeah. But no, look, we're, uh, we're just really, really glad that Tom was able to join us today. It was great catching up with him. Very much so. So, since Tom is away, and I was thinking, he's probably been... On just as many planes I, I, is as Is this we your have. segue? Is this your segue as yeah. Tom is away? Well, he, he is. He's in Canada, isn't he? He's yeah, in he is, Toronto, so okay, he's away right. from home. So, so to is get to Canada? Well, to get there, Tom would have had to take an airplane, I'm imagining. So, did you know? Here we go. Here's the segue. Did you know the shortest passenger flight you can get in the world is between Westray and Papa Westray? In the Scotland's Orkney Islands. Which is separate it? It's separated by one point seven miles of land and sea, so the flight itself lasts forty seven seconds. Wow. But do you know a civilization which were way ahead of their time many, many moons ago? Were the ancient Egyptians. You know, and you're going to if you go to work and you think my boss is a real beep Imagine you're a slave for one of the pharaohs of Egypt which sucks anyway so King Pepe II I think I pronounced that right this dude apparently ruled for 90 years and he was really fed up with flies and other bugs pestering him so he commanded one of his slaves to be covered in honey to lure all the bugs away from him did it work? I don't know I assume so but imagine that for a rubbish job I bet his skin was soft Okay, i tell you what, next time we're in the summer... Okay, I'll want- I tell, tell you what would be a rubbish job. What? Did you know that when the pharaohs died and they went into their tomb, their slaves were buried alive with them to help them in the afterlife? Not all of them. Most of them were. <laughs> that would be like, you know, in The Simpsons, where it's like, oh, Smithers, it would you'll be, be buried alive Smithers. with me. Yeah, it would be like that. I mean, that is vile. It's uh, To be honest, I'm still, I'm still in a wee mood from earlier today, right? So I went to the supermarket and I thought, right, I've literally got two bags of rice. Three self-checkout things, right? There. All three of them had people, idiots, idiots, standing there with their trolleys, their shopping trolleys, full of stuff. One lady was there and she was scanning individually. She must have had, I'm not exaggerating, about 50 mini lemonade bottles. Scanning them. Each one beep. Beep, beep, oh, ring the bell, excuse me, I've run out of space to put them on the scales here. I wonder why? Because it's supposed to be a self checkout Minimal as possible. Get it in, pay it, get out. If you want to do it a hell of a lot quicker, here's a good idea. Go to the person over there who can actually scan it quickly for you. Do you want any cash back? Get out. Are you a people person? Because clearly you don't want to talk to someone whose job it is to scan all the contents from a shopping trolley. Rant over. Enough of that. Thank you very much for listening this week. Thank you very much for Tom joining us all the way over there in Toronto, Canada while he's off. Well, from- no, no, he wasn't in Toronto. He was in the upper echelons of Ontario. He was Ontario. Yes, beautiful part of the world but very cold now. So if you're there, stay warm. <laughs> but everybody, again, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for watching on YouTube. Alice, thank you very much for editing all this together, cutting Oliver's rants out, hopefully. And Oh, no, you- no, 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 no. Oh, I need to add one more thing as well because you never do it. What? Please subscribe to our YouTube channel oh, God, and, no. sp- oh, and please, oh, cri- and no. please click no. subscribe if you're listening on audio. No, no. If you like it, great. If not, no worries. I hate those. I always hate what those. Do you mean videos no of- worries. Here's my you don't Like it? They no, turned off by now, have not they? Here's my run. Everybody, you're watching a. No- say you're watching a, a, a how-to fact on YouTube. So you're never going to need to know again. At the end, old Bob's painting tips is if you like this. Click likes and follow us for more. It's like, well, I've watched it now. Right, but anyway, you realise... you re- You realise how this works, though, James. People don't miss the next episode of this, listening to all your Did You Know facts, because they subscribe. i tell you what we need. I'll tell you what we need. A new host? Crappy merchandise. Mm. Okay. Do you know what I mean? You could have, like, I don't know, That'll any ideas, a like a dream, T-shirt, right? where it just says, like, Did You Know? Let's think or, about um, this until next time. But until that time... Thanks for watching, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. Bye. Normal not normal is a stable production.